I'm gonna I gotta go do I'm gonna go switch my laundry real quick. That's that's a good start. Uh Jared, how about you? <laughs> what do you want to know about Kid Joe? I'll be back in like five five minutes. Okay, what? what do you want to know about TSG, I mean? Oh, um I don't know. I actually I follow his uh draft videos and stuff. So yeah, that's like pretty much the only thing I do other than work. So you're you're right on top of my life right now. You do, you do the, but you do the, You've been doing the other drafts. Like you, you've been doing the Masters edition. You did the uh, the Urzas. You do the you do the off the beaten path drafts. Well, I mean, everyone's pretty tired of scars. I just got tired of it a little sooner than everyone else did. And if I just happen to be at home and I see the saga queue is going to fire, <laughs> Great. Uh, I'll try to re- I'll try to record it. And those times are so so rare and far between. I was so stoked. I at least got to draft it twice. I'm sitting on my, my my account has like a decent amount of Saga block product. I just never get a chance to draft. I couldn't believe that you first picked that show and tell over Arc Lightning though. I was like ripping my hair out. I was like, no, this is an episode where they're showing us how to draft, and you're not supposed to money draft if you want to win. What's, uh, what if I'm in a pro tour and that scenario comes up, and I'm in an Ursa's Legacy, you know, Ursa's block draft, and I see the show and tell first pick. I'm gonna just, I'm gonna follow your lead, and I'm gonna get blown out by it now. See, the thing is, I I, I I told people exactly what you should do, and then I told them what you should do if you're on Magic Online, and then we did what we were supposed to do if you're on Magic Online. <laughs> what's that, what's that guy booking for right now on Moto? I think I sold it for like 14, so I did just nice. fine. Nice, you did just it's fine. I got it from both sides though. Like if I don't rare draft, sure, sure, they'll be like, you know, in the, in the first socket draft day that I opened. Smokestacks first pick, yep. which was um, like they like they sell for eight. So I probably got like six for it. Mm-hmm. And I remember like after I posted that one, a friend of mine was like, "Wow, you really stuck with it. You really you didn't rare draft that one. You like you you showed him you know the good stuff." And I was like, "Yeah, whatever." Like, but Luis does it all the time. Luis gets away with it on his videos. He he rare drafts and he'll yeah. say right to everyone's face. But he's the fifth best player in the world. Or first, or whatever. So he, he like he can get a he could pretty he could like he could flick boogers at his computer screen and it would probably be correct. You know what I mean? He'd be like, yeah, eh, eh, yeah, okay, okay, free pass. But now I, I I do remember that draft though. That was like one of the most profitable drafts I've had in a while because like <laughs> you could you could sell um, cloud of fairies for a ticket apiece, and I had two in that draft as well. So I ended up making like eighteen nice. tickets and won the draft. A lot get, better than drafting Masters Edition. Does the site actually pay for those? Um, we get a, we get an allotment every time a set comes out, and then you know since we're expected to win, like you just kind of have to go with your allotment. Like, and they're not going to we're not going to get infinite rolled by the site because you're expect you're expected to to at least make your money back, being able to play at the level we're expected to play at. Gotcha. Okay, and what is your full time job in the real world, or is is the site your full time job? Um, well, I mean, I, I work I work for the website full time. Uh, the the tasks, responsibilities, things I undertake there. I'm not gonna say they change all the time, but I'm constantly doing different stuff. Like I think that if you were to ask me, I mean, like we don't even have titles. There's not that many of us. Like, but I'll, I'll do all the shows. I reprice everything pre extended on the website. So if you ever see anything screwed up one way or another, that's my fault. Um, we we once had seventh edition spell books on the on the website for twenty five dollars, which was pretty sweet. And then people sold them to us for like ten dollars cash. That was a good week. <laughs> nice. Um, I I mean like I, right now I'm in charge of like new media, 
because we've done this thing with MTG Cast recently, and we're trying to get more out of our advertising with Magic TV. And I mean, there's a um, a long shot for me, like fingers crossed. If one day we can ever get up to 100,000 views on the Magic TV videos, get them consistent, and get them to 25 to 27 minutes of content, um, we can shop it to like network because someone like G4 is looking for for gaming content like that. We just don't have we don't have enough traffic in order to make it something they're willing to look at right now. I mean, obviously that's, we need to read, we need to change so the format. We need to up the ante, but it's something that's very realistic. We just have to get there. That's awesome. That's, awesome. that's a really great idea. I mean, you should, um, you should market it. You should um, market it as MTV. You know what I mean? Cause like, that's sweet. that would be really sweet. You know, like you can say, yeah, we've got this great idea for a show. It's called MTV. Well, that, you know, that's that. the thing. Like, that's the thing that people don't get is when we conceived of the show, that was the joke. Like, Magic TV was it was supposed to be you're tuned into MTV, but no one, like, none of the viewers liked that. Like, no, like, you know, like Magic players for the most part are very anti, like, super hyper pop cultured things like like MTV, and I don't blame them. Like, I don't like MTV either. But that was supposed to be the joke, and it never caught on. Oh. So I I expected everyone to be going around saying, "Oh, did you watch MTV this week? Did you watch MTV last week?" But now now it's like everyone says it, so it's kind of it's kind of awkward. So people don't like MTV references. Hmm. People do not like. That's what I've learned. I've learned that's hard. People do not like MTV references on our show. <laughs> That's we've funny at two this. levels. Um, we've been going about this all wrong. You guys yeah, awesome. so much for your business plan, buddy. Yeah, you guys are. <laughs> there goes you, guys, model. You, you tapped into the nostalgia of you. You, you kind of occupied. No pun intended. An, bah, 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 bah. Yep, you kind of occupied an interesting space with that, Joey. Joe, because you guys like there's players like me and you who are old enough to get that reference and appreciate it and that niche is like occupied well while not going for the whole you know a, a specific show like that and sometimes you got some of those you know umtg and umtv tokens that were awesome from back in the day like some of those get those but then you also got the younger folks who are in the game that have no idea and do not get the reference and have had to like google it and youtube it and so you you kind of like hit that niche on the head i can see how the mtv thing is lost though but it's you know it's it's still pretty good you'd be surprised how many people our age or older do not get the references though well i've had people be like oh what so what's that yo mtg taps what does that what does that mean (laughs) and i'm like dude you're like my age are you serious like i'm like really i don't know it's kind of hilarious you'd be surprised how many people i guess didn't watch mtv growing up i mean joey didn't really watch mtv growing up i don't think he had cable but um yo how old are you I I will turn 29 uh, next Saturday, um, February 19th. I don't know when this will go up because this is officially part two, right? So um, I don't know when this will actually post, but uh, well, we might yeah, have a very special I, birthday present for you. Well, and the, the the reality is part part two probably doesn't have, need the same kind of editing because it's much more off the cuff. Yeah. Right. And, uh, Jason Mind Sculptors, I'll accept Jason Mind Sculptors for presents. I'll accept any foil <laughs> zombies for my zombie EDH, unhinged swamps, um, foils, of course, um, and, uh, and, and and mock. Oh, yeah. oh God, yeah. I'm Isn't that so sexy? I'm sorry to cut you off. <laughs> I just have like a constant hard-on since the first time it was spoiled with that art. It's the zombies they're walking. Oh, the art is so fantastic. It is great. For what card? Uh, Black Sun Zenith. Oh yeah, nice. Oh, that's really good. No, I meant. Have you seen the game just... day one? 
Yeah, the game day one. I meant that we're just uh. going to put the show up for your birthday. Oh, so, word. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Hardcore. Yeah. No, don't, uh, yeah, no, seriously, it's no problem at all. Don't worry about it. Um, just happy to contribute. We got you covered on this one, Joey. Yeah, dude. Nice. It's, it's really from all of us, so. No, to follow up by Jared's, Jared's question, I, I, I was actually referring to the regular, um, the regular art, um, like, I, like, I just have a, I got, I, I traded for, actually, I think I, I bought a foil version of Black Sun Zenith, um, right before the game day promo, um, the full art foil game day promo was, re- like, released, and I'm actually happy with, with my decision, because I'm not, I'm not as excited about that art. It's also cool, but it's not, it's not as sick as the, the regular art. Yeah. The original art is insanely yeah. cool. I just love full art stuff. Yeah, yeah. That, that Black Sun Zealk is really good. So is the Treasure Mage. I have a play set of the... Um, God, why can't I think of the name of it now? Memnite. I have a play set of the Memnites signed by RK Post, which is pretty sweet. Oh, those Memnites are sexy. Yeah, I, uh, I, I was looking over your cube, Tristan, and mm-hmm. uh, it's very interesting, some of the choices. I found some stuff in there that's not in mine, which I liked. Uh, I do have a question for you about it. What is the number one pack you crack with your packed black, you know, tutor that tutors for a pack? You know what I'm saying? Oh, um, usually torment because you're like already in black. Um, do you just have you'd these be packs like waiting around pack? the cube, or do people have to bring their own, or how does that work? I never seen uh, that you know, like, like when we're at the store, we have all the booster packs on display. Sure. So someone like. There's a caveat that when we're playing in the store, like it's it's draft and use at your own risk. Unless, well, like, I mean, we'll make we'll, we'll usually you know, like ex, you know, there's extenuating circumstances depending, but it's usually you know draft and use at your own risk. So you have to buy your own packs. Um, and there have been some some Urza's Saga packs crack trying to find pestilences. <laughs> uh, That's awesome. That's so sweet. But usually, no, the, like some of the some of the best ever. Uh, somebody randomly picked fourth edition uh-huh. and he was playing like a, a white weenie beatdown deck. Uh-huh. He opened top white and the guy didn't have a, like, <laughs> an enchantment destruction. Card in his deck. <laughs> that is so sweet. That's incredible. That's awesome. <laughs> that, was like, that was like the most, fr- like the, the opponent most frustrated by opening, by having booster shooter played. That um, is hilarious. What was, what, was the, what was the rarest pack that's been opened with it so far? We opened a Legends pack once, just because nice. somebody wanted to. Uh, it it yeah. didn't yield anything good. Like usually, like antics like that are usually done when you're winning, because you're not going to get anything good. I, I don't remember what the rare was, but it was pretty exciting. I mean, other other memorable ones like someone was playing Black White. They opened a Guild packed pack and they got Angel Despair as the rare. That was pretty good. Oh wow! Uh, nice. Uh, um, again, it's usually like people go for Torment. Because it's ba- it's black based and you're usually playing black. Although probably the second most common pick when you're not is in a five color deck. Because since booster shooter is an instant and only costs single black, it's a great mana fixer. So usually people will open up shards Valara packs because obviously if nothing else, a booster shooter is a basic land, just one of the random five. But you also have all the chances of the panoramas, the obelisks, all the the tri lands. There's so much fixing that a lot of the five color control decks will draft the card and then open shards packs. 
See, I would think Conflux because Conflux has the lands, the artifacts that bounce the lands. They have the tutors that tutor up for basic land, uh, for one of two basic lands as at common. Uh, they have a lot of multicolored stuff in. You're, you're thinking of Lara Reborn. Yeah, you're yeah. thinking of the you're thinking of the border post and the and the double land cycling, double guard. land yeah, cyclers. Yeah. What did yeah. I say? Conflux. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no, no. Lara Reborn. That's what I meant. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's pretty cool. Though. That's a great card. I'm gonna. I need to find one of those to put in my cube. Um, well, it's, it's been it's been in and out. It actually just went back in by popular demand in this update. Okay. Because. Like if you're not at the storefront, you know usually the other ways you'll play it is you'll just take 15 random cube cards, mm-hmm. and like time in time out, that is just ridiculously powerful. I mean, have you? Let me ask you this: Have you ever had Nissa Ravine in? I, I've never gone that route because I'm not big on bending the rules of any variety. Okay. Uh, I know meaning bending the rules meaning you have to add a Nissa's chosen. You get two cards for one if you pick that. I, I have I have had people in their cubes when you draft Nissa's Nissa Ravain, you immediately get two copies of Nissa's Chosen. You immediately get three two copies, copies of Nissa's Chosen. Two or what? three? Not just yeah, one. multiple copies. You'll have access to multiple that copies. Seems insane. Um, additionally, one way to make the card playable. I mean, again, there are different schools of thought on it. I I don't like I said I don't like betting the rules that much, so I I don't include it. Just because if you draft an Issa Ravain, that means you could draft two, three, four, five infinite cards with one pick, and I don't really like that. I mean, one of the other great examples of people like making their own rules is I know a guy that has a cheaty face in his cube that he always hides somewhere in the land box, so the first person to find it can put it back. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, so you, you always have to be on the lookout for the cheeky face if you didn't get it, which which is kind of like entertaining, but it's a little bit over the top. Well, it's it's a, I mean, it's the type of thing that's fun the first time, but after that, it just gets obnoxious, and people are like, "Oh, really? it's like it's like gifts given. Like gifts given was really fun. Like the first like couple times somebody cast it, right. and then we realized that like your win percentage when you cast that card in a game is retarded. Oh, of I course. mean, not only Jester's capping your opponent for four cards is already ridiculous at instant speed, but then you get to take two of them and put them in your hand. It, 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 it was just ridiculous. Like I, like I was forced to cut the card because it was too good. Well, at the, was, and at the, at, at the cube level, it's just it's just out of control. Like it, it, you know, because obviously every card has such power. Um, there's a couple other interesting ones you had in there. Um, you have, uh, let's see, you you, have, you actually you're you know, a man of my own heart. You have quite a bit of land destruction in there. How does that go over? Oh uh, well. Um... Uh, first, for starters, I love it. I am Me a too. You have two Armageddon's in. <laughs> I love it. Um, when I was first building it, I thought one of the problems with black is that it didn't have very defined roles. Like, if you think about black as a color overall, the things that it does are almost always better in multiples. So, like, a singleton dark ritual is mediocre. A singleton carnophage is pretty mediocre. Like, a lot of Black's really successful archetypes in Magic have been all about redundancy. I mean, you think about the Yogg-Will decks of Saga, like, it's all four of us, it's all good stuff. All those decks are awesome. Same with, like, Necro or Bargain. And in Cube, you don't have that consistently enough. Like, I, I ran Necropotence and Bargain for a while. I even had Ivory Tower and Xurnorb in the Cube. And the circumstances where those cards came together were so few and far between, it was not worth doing. And so... I got to a point where I was like, well, I, you know, I want to make things kind of thematic, and I want to make there be color blend to a certain degree. So in my cube, only black and red really share land destruction, and they share it well. 
you can draft kind of an NBA deck that also plays some land destruction spells, and it's very good. And you can draft, like, mono-red LD, because there's enough cards in red, and it's a really viable deck. And the best part about my cube is there's enough multicolor, um, like, cards and things you want to play, and in a Winston draft, a single stone rain can still have an impact on the game. Like, oh, you hit my only blue source. I can't really play my Factor Fiction anymore this game. Or even setting someone behind one turn can be enough to make those cards all very playable. Interesting. It, yeah. I think it's something that it's something you kind of have to flush out. I think it's something you have to play with enough to really understand how it works. Because a lot of people will look at the list and be like, Choking Sands? That's terrible. Why would you ever play that card? Oh, Choking but, Sands is one, of the, is one of the better ones. That's one of the best ones. Well, it can't destroy a swamp, which kind of pisses people off. Like, oh, I can't hit your bayou? That's lame. Bah. No, Choking Sands but, is great. But I think if you if you if you play with the list I have or something close to it enough, like you'll not only understand it, but hopefully you'll like it. I mean, I I've definitely been blown out by Goblin Settler, Kiki Jiki, and I've definitely been hit by all kinds of crazy crap. And at the end of the day, it's really fun. What I find is that in my in my cube, uh, I mean, I love that. I, I you know we we have a couple cubes in our play group, but the two main ones are are mine and Tom's. And in a previous episode, we went over kind of the differences of them. And one of his biggest things he there's two there's two big things. One is that you know his is a community cube. You know we all have cards that are in it. We all have input. You know we have like these big many hour sessions of when a new set comes out, what we're going to put in, and we go over email and constantly upgrading it and it's all by committee kind of and there's a lot of it's very democratic there's a lot that goes into it my cube is just me i'm the sole owner and i take into account everyone's input but i'll make the final decisions on it and i'm constantly adjusting it to you know what i feel the you know meta feelings are and and you know i'm kind of like moving it around and one of his things is he doesn't like have like ancestral recall because it's too powerful. Doesn't have mind twist because it's not fun. Doesn't have a lot of land destruction, other spells like that because people don't find it fun. And I can understand that. And I also think that R and D and Wizards has gone that way because they got rid of a lot of the accessible land destruction because people probably are like, oh, denial of my resources. This isn't very fun, and it makes people buy less packs. Uh, you know because of that. So. I think that there is something to that, but on the other hand, I freaking love it. I think it's awesome, and I think that it make you know it can open up a lot of strategies, uh, both defensively and offensively, that that aren't in there if it's not there. So for my cube, it's it's all aboard. But uh, I was just wondering if people ever complain about that. They say like, well, I don't really like mind twist. It's not fun. I don't like wildfire or second wildfire in your cube, which is sweet too because you got two of those. Um, um, it's not fun. Mind twist is actually a good example. Like, see. I think part of it is what era you played Magic in. Because I can remember going and playing with my friends and like someone getting a big shitting grin on their face when they <laughs> open up their opening hand and they're like, they're like, well, what's going on? And they're like, oh, so I'm up first, right? And you're like, yeah, sure. Swamp, ritual, ritual, twist you for four. And they're like, okay, sweet. And like, But you like work through it. You play it. Like you, I think part of it was learning to play against it and being okay with it. And obviously nowadays players, not, 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 so, not so into it. I mean... I was extremely aggravated when uh, Wizards slowly pushed Land Destruction out, slowly made it cost four or just not exist. Um, you know, the last time I played... Oh, no, not the last time. One of the times I played Regionals was 05. It was the year they split California into three parts because I, I, I fucking hated it because it used to be top eight got invites to Nationals. That year I made top eight, but since they split the state again, it was only top four. 
and I had built a deck the night before that just ran four stone rain, four molten rain. This was my pack when like tooth and nail was huge. So it was like hit your Urza lands. I had sewing salt in the sideboard, um, Swift Firewalker. I mean that that deck was like one of the most fun decks I ever built and was so much fun to play. And I just I just love land destruction and I think that was part of the part of my motivation behind putting in Q, but I, I don't think it was solely the reason why. And again, like I grew up playing with it, so I understand it. Like I understand playing against it. I understand this, more of the strategies to try to get around it. Um, and the magic players just whined and bitched, and wizards just took it out. Yeah, exactly. I, I think I, I think it, I think I think what they've done is is actually open up the design space and go in a different direction. I mean, at the same time as they as they have reduced the amount of land destruction. They've also created mechanics like landfall that intuitively reward you for doing something that feels good anyway. So like playing a land early, like in, in playing lands early is something that intuitively feels good. Uh, it's, it's a part, it's a, it's a, a fundamental of the game, um, getting your resources out. But late game, top decking a land is really awkward. It's awful. Um, but if you have a mechanic like uh, landfall on, on, a, on a number of your creatures, then that late game top deck of a land intuitively feels better. And as a result, the experience of playing Magic can be more fun for both players, whereas land destruction is actually much more narrow, where the person that's playing the land destruction has a, has a good strategy. Yeah, the resource denial, yeah, it's actually fundamentally a sound way to play Magic, but for the other person, they're not actually really playing a lot of magic in a lot of scenarios. If you are really aware of it and you, you know going in, okay, I have to draft um, around land destruction and I need to play around land destruction because that's a big deal in this cube, well, then that's one thing. But it's another thing to, to talk about it from a high level as, uh, you know, what, it, it's, it's, it's fun factor. Viability and fun are different. And I think that it's a very legitimate thing to say that when when one person's having a great time via land destruction, the other person probably isn't having a great time, whereas you can oftentimes play magic, lose, 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 and have a, a fantastic time. Not so much when those losses are to, to extreme resource denial. I think it's a balance. I think that uh, the Zendikar example is just great for magic in general because... I don't think it's something you're necessarily going to ever be able to recreate. We, exactly. we, all, we all know all the limited formats you've played, how much drawing a land on turn 13 when you guys both are out of hands doesn't do anything. But now it's like, oh my god, I gained two life. My Bailoff got plus plus four and trample. My guy gained fear. This is awesome. Um, and I give Ken Nagel a lot of credit because I've listened to him talk about it a lot. That you know, I can only hope that they can do stuff like that again in the future. But, you know, land destruction can be the same way. If you are the guy with one land in play on turn eight and you draw a land again on turn nine, it's like, oh, sweet, I might be back in this game. Um, I mean, yes, it's not exactly the same, and I'm not defending it. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I just, uh, like, I'm, I'm used to it. I like to think that other players, if they play enough with the cube, but again, it doesn't happen every day. You're both right, and so am I, because what <laughs> what basically happened was people did complain about it, people did, you know, they did change it, and it's because it's not 
fun because it's not interactive the same way combo decks aren't interactive and they've tried to steer away from the high tides you know back in the day and that's that's just you know trying to make the game more viable more accessible more interesting and marketing better and that's how i think that's the influence of marketing on r&d and all that stuff uh but russ you have had something to say for a long time so go for it buddy oh i i just i i definitely echo uh uh the point there that uh, while landfall was definitely uh, something a direction that they pushed to uh, kind of get people to do things that they wanted to do anyway, I think it's kind of a limited example. I mean, landfall is not something uh, that, if following their their current trends, that they're going to make into an evergreen mechanic. I don't think. And so, while it was great for Zendikar block, I really don't think that it's something that we're going to see um, in the future um, a whole lot. I think that that um, like TSG was saying that, that that was really sort of a one-time deal. Um, For sure. That, you know, so I while I, I do agree that uh, it it can be frustrating um, to have your resources denied that way. It is something that that uh, you know does harken back to the very uh, primordial kind of formation that I came from in terms of my magic education of, of way back in the day, that, that was one of the, the tools that you used in order to win, especially if you, you couldn't afford the cards that uh, that your playgroup was, was playing with. And it was one of the first strategies that I turned to um, was because it was something that, that was effective regardless of the, the power level of the cards I was playing, was denying my opponent's resources. And right after that was you know denying their, their access to spells using counter magic. And I think that both of those things uh, the current player group really has uh, railed against, and and that that that's what we're seeing in this move away from both of those um, as as hardcore elements of the the core sets. Um, right. So I, I, it is really just I think an outlook uh, of of you know where were you, how were you educated, and and what is your outlook on um, the the ideas of of having your your resources controlled by the other player and and one one group of players the the group that's in power right now says that that's not fun uh, another group of players you know several years ago was more than willing to to work with that so I think it's just sort of uh, the where we find ourselves in magic right now right well and and the other side of that is simply that. Uh, there is a balance to it. What Greg is saying is correct, but the other side of it is true too, which is that it's very risky because I'm going to spend three mana on my turn to destroy one of your lands that you're going to get to play for free the next turn when you're putting down a 3-3 three, three for one or you know, whatever, uh, you know, it's coming down on your side, you know, you're getting your board developed, you're getting creatures, you're drawing cards, you know, you're getting a Sylvan Library out or whatever. It's like, really? Like, Stone Rain in all in all you know, pomp and circumstance aside, it's not that powerful compared to what else you can be doing, especially in the cube. And so that's kind of the risk of it with that type of strategy. It's like, really, I'm going to be spending a third, fourth, and fifth turn destroying your land when creatures are on the board? I think that there there, there is a balance to it. It is not just for nostalgia's sake. I think there's an actual, like, tactical, you know, stuff going on. But I also feel like uh, it's super fun, and I just love it for nostalgia. And I'm willing to admit that, that I'm a little biased. But I also I think it's important to know that, you know, there's some big disadvantages to go into that strategy. Yeah, like not getting to put creatures on the board when your opponent's doing really powerful things and you're just blowing up one land for three mana. Also, you don't have smokestack anymore. I've, That's kind of weird. I've not... Uh, why, I mean, I, I took out Tanglewire a few updates ago. Um, Tanglewire, I can that's interesting because I, I think it would be easier to make an argument for the quality of 
Tangle Wire over Smokestacks. I mean, what, what makes what makes Smokestacks so good? Okay. Just, just as an FYI, this is one of of Jonathan's probably top four cards. I don't know where but, to begin. Let me just set up a little up. bit. Okay. First of all, Smokestack, it, it does three things that Tangawire doesn't do. One is that it creates a dynamic that will reward a better player the vast majority of the time, meaning knowing how uh, on the other side of a smoke, actually on both sides of the smokestack, how to react to it uh, is, you know, th- there's a lot of going on there. You have to think about what am I going to be drawing and, and, and doing in my next, you know, three, four, five turns. How much mana do I need? What color mana do I need if I'm playing multiple? You know, is there is there a lot of artifact destruction going around? Can I just blow up my lands, leave my signets, vice versa? So there's a lot going on to it from a strategic standpoint and it adds a dimension of uh, that that will reward better players and will punish poor players so that's one second thing is that it's uh, much better all around in the sense that Tango Wire, and I played Tango Wire, I played four of them, I love that deck back when it was in Standard, it is a great card. But Tango Wire is much more of a, a narrow uh, card both in uh, in in design execution and power because getting a Tango Court off the top, you know, later in the game or midway through the game in cube is not nearly as relevant, especially in a cube where you have cards like, you know, you have like the Hermitrudes, you have all the Signets, you have all the other extra permanents coming into play, um, and therefore it, it can negate a lot of its relevancy, especially if it's not within the first, uh, you know, third of the game or so. Um, the fourth, or excuse me, the third thing I would say is that it's just so much less of a powerful card. It does so much less than Smokestack does, and and Smokestack is just so baller. Man, I love Smokestack. I'm gonna, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't say you have to necessarily compare it directly to Tanglewire. I think that the argument about it, you know, like it benefiting the smarter player. Sure, you could you could say that. Um, I think what makes it awkward is that your opponent gets a whole turn to kind of prepare for it coming for starters, because you cast it and then pass the turn without it having any effect on your opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike a card like Braids, which I, I really love in cube and I think is, oh, is really cool. spectacular and like an aggressive black strategy, because if you're on the play, your opponent has you know at least three land in play, but at most three lands and a couple other permanents, you slap braids and pass the turn. It already is having an impact on the game and the board, and is you know immediately going to help you. Uh, again, you have a threat in play as well. Yeah. As where smokestacks is like you you cast it, you pass, and now your opponent is like, okay, well, you know, nine times out of ten, at the end of my turn, my opponent's going to ratchet up to one on his turn. So I'm going to lose a resource. Like I have access to all my resources. Which is the one I least need? Then from there, it's like, okay, well, now what's worst case scenario? Two turns from now, I'm going to lose two of my resources. So maybe you could speed up how your opponent is planning on winning the game. I mean, maybe in a control mirror, it can it have more value. Oh man, but I can't I think, wait to play you in cube and draft that card. Oh my god, go ahead, I'm listening. But I, I just no, I, 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 I mean like, wait. but again, like in the most recent update <laughs> I did the cube, I, I added nice, nice undermine, very subtle. I cannot, <laughs> I cannot wait. wait to pray you. <laughs> I cannot wait. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying on that, and that those are all actually pretty valid points. I mean, um, maybe your cube but, plays slower than mine does. I don't. I don't know. Like, well, I'll it tell just you, seems like I'll tell you, you don't what, want to tap out the cast a lot of the time. This is your then you're susceptible to everything, and you're and you unless your deck is very aggressive, 
which again, I, I think I'd rather play a more in board impactful card than Smokestacks if I was playing an aggressive deck. Like, I think Smokestacks, just thinking of kind of the generic cube setting, is probably better in a mid-range to control deck. I mean, I don't really think there's a lot of combo where it really interacts. And even if you have Welder, it's still a pretty slow grind. Um, I, I, like I said, I don't know. I, I, I haven't played with it much. I don't think I... Yeah, I mean, I've I, had it on my list, and I don't know if I've ever actually played it with someone else's. I, for me, it's 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 in in my cube and in Tom's cube until recently, it's a first pick, only second to you know Ancestral Recall, Mind Twist, Mox, you know, something of that nature. The reason play one of the, what's that? I said playstyle. Yeah, it's it partially just reflects my playstyle, and I like. I like cards like that, but I think another another thing that makes it very powerful is that if I can, it 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 has the versatility. But if I can get it early, if I can go turn one like a land soul ring, turn two smokestack, that's game. Like you can just win turn two with it because you go, you know, do what you're doing, and then I'm already up on permanence board development, and I have something that's knocking out your resources. I just need to thread on the table, and I don't even have to ratchet up. I can keep it at one or two if I want. Completely wipe the board. You know, I can, I can, flawless victory. Yeah, you can, victory. you can totally like flawless victory. Him. So it's got that, it's got that side to it as well. And if you haven't drafted a lot, but you, but you got those in your, in your cube, right? You have the signets and, and the. Artifacts. Well, yeah, I, but I still think I think the one flaw with that statement is you just made an example of turn one soul ring, turn two smokestacks. I'm pretty sure you could say turn one soul ring, turn two, insert the name of fifty to eighty different cards in cube, and you're probably going to win the game hands down. Fair. Like it doesn't need to be smokestacks. Like smokestacks isn't a card that's pushing me over the top. Well, in fa- fact, it's a card that's, again, not having impact immediately. Like, what if you went turn one soul ring, turn two Jason Mind Sculptor? Like, which would you rather have? Well, fair enough. But yeah. if, you, if, you have the, if you have the smokestack, it's better than Tango Chord, turn two. Uh, true, true, yeah. I, I, again, like, I don't want to... I'm saying that I, when I mentioned Tango Wire, I said they work well together. I don't think that oh, they're okay. comparable. I, I don't think they're comparable as to one or the other. I'm saying that I used to run Welder. I used to run Tanglewire. Uh, those cards can be good. I think they're just a little too narrow for drafting all the time, especially if you ever Winston draft your cube. Like oh those my kind God. of. You've you've Winston drafted your cube? Oh, I do it all the time. Whoa! How long does that take? Not not long. We only use ninety cards. It's it's the, it's the heads up draft format. Wait, I'm thinking of... Winston, not Rochester. I'm thinking of Rochester. Yeah, yeah you've you've Winston you've Winston drafted many a time. Not, I don't know about about cube but yeah 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 yeah. i'm totally thinking of rochester yeah 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 winston drafting okay oh we we, we, we do that too <laughs> like, whoa um rochester draft uh you have to go back to the ld strategy it's really hard to draft ld when you're when you're rochester drafting i think because... a lot of the linear strategies become hard in the cube when when you're rochestering it because people can it's so easy to d stuff up that's that's not especially in a cube like yours where some of the more linear strategies aren't as uh it's a little more flexible. Like in some cubes, they really push zombie themes, you know, or goblin theme or whatever. Uh, but in yours, you're, a lot of the stuff is, except for like Crusade or something. But you you have some pretty, you have stuff that's that's pretty flexible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, when uh, Rochester is like a whole different style, and it's funny. Like it's hard to hate draft against like the white weenie strategy. It's hard to hate draft against the blue control strategies. But it's it's like LD is the one strategy that's really easy to break up when you're Rochester drafting. It's like the the immediate default pick someone will go to if it's like, well, there's nothing, there's nothing I'm obviously going to play in my deck, so I'm just going to take this 
Stone Rain or Ogre Arsonist or whatever. Quick aside. I mean, I, I, like, bottom line, I'm willing to give this whole Smokestacks thing like a little bit more, like I'll look into it, but I, I just, it seems so slow and... I mean, maybe there's maybe it's all, all very unassuming. Maybe there's something I'm missing, but uh, I don't. I don't no, I mean, well, and the other thing is, I played a lot in Saga, and I had a and there's a yeah, I had awesome smokestack deck for standard back then when uh, after the bannings. But all uh, all I'm saying is that we'll we'll cube it up sometime, and you know, we'll just have to see how the cards fall. But that's definitely like a first pick for me. Yeah, and I I've, and I and I've and I've frequently seen it third and fourth and, and passed it right along. In, the, in that team, and so, and then, and then Jonathan gets it at like fifth, and he just goes eight. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I do go nuts. Pardon the, pardon the the, the swearing. That's okay. I uh, edited out. But but yeah, I mean, he just goes nuts. I mean, everybody everybody from Milwaukee knows the Jonathan like. Yeah, noise. if I get a smokestack or an Armageddon or a wildfire or anything like that, you know, I might flip a table. I'm five nothing, hundred pounds, but someone's going down. Yeah, no, I, I have a friend who does the exact same thing with Coalition Relic. Like, you just cannot pass him my card in cube because he goes like five color control seven days a week. Oh, sweet! Sounds like my type of player. Yeah, so I, I, I know that if I see a color relic in a pack and he's anywhere at the table, I was like, well, he obviously hasn't seen this yet. And I better take it now before he does. Have you Instead ever? Of terrible thumb. Have you ever added? Uh, have you ever added cards to your cube that you, like boo cards? Have I ever added cards that did what? Um, like build your own. Oh, like you got, you like got made up cards. Yeah, again, I'm not I'm not big on the on the changing things too much. Like, I understand that cube is design your own set, kind of you know maintain your own set, design your own archetypes, but I'm not a fan of when people create their own cards and. I've, I've listened to the arguments and they make sense. Like you could, there was a time when white was the worst color hands down. This was probably like four or five years ago. And I knew people that were like, Oh, I'm just going to make a white ancestral recall one white instant draw three cards. Like what's so wrong about that? Like blue has it. If you play like a powered cube, like there's no reason why I can't have it just because white's so bad. No, that's, uh, like, it totally like, destroys the, the color pie though. It's not in the flavor of magic. But if you think about like the long, long history of magic, the color pie you know, is is really uh, it's often bent, and a lot of the best cards in the game are those that you know are that break it. I mean, think Sylvan Library, for example. Like, you're just not going to put that in your cube because it's a green card draw. Sylvan Library gets in for nostalgia reason and because it's awesome and it's because it's powerful. But the majority of cards like that are broken like that are color relevant. I think like Mind Twist, you know, Time Walk. Eh, I mean, like I, I've definitely there's definitely been times where I've like oh, I should put Lapse of Certainty and manatized in my queue because you know the white aggressive strategies will want that or it's definitely something that you know the blue control mage isn't going to expect out of the white player sure um and is that really like breaking the color pie i mean obviously their cards are printed more recently so they're not the best examples but you know i left them out purely based on power level and to me i still like my my card inclusions for the most part come on power level and i think i i mean think if i took more time i could think of other examples of when cards sure, step sure. outside, you don't like Manatide? Um, it's not that I don't like it. I just like, like, I think that card. That card. I think I really like that card. I mean, it's, it's four spikes in white, and it's not as predictable as it would be in in blue. I actually like Laps of Certainty a lot more. Um, the white aggressive decks, you know, if it's white red, white green, mono white, uh, those are pretty. Or like white black's more mid range, but those the mono white, white red, the white green, which are drafted a lot. 
nine times out of 10, all those early turns, they want to either be playing a threat or applying a pressure in a different way. And that's, that's not to say you can't unassumingly leave a single white mana open, but more often than not, you're going to be curving out early. And it would be so nice against so many decks to just kind of have some kind of stopper in the middle. Like when your opponent goes to Wrath you, you're like, okay, put it back on the top of your library. I'm going to swing for a lot more. But that card's also going to be relevant on turn 10 when you're just getting in there with like you two encampment and your opponent wants to go like cast Kakusho or something. Um, like I, I guess I, both those cards are good. I think if I was to add one tomorrow, it'd be Lapse of Certainty over Mana Side, though. I have both of them in mind. Well, your does yours support 12 players? Uh, it's currently at 690 cards, so yes. Okay, I'm at, I'm at 16, so that that probably like I'm able to add in a ton of stuff because of that, I think. But I've just I've I've tried to add cards that boost up the other colors just because blue is so powerful. I don't. I don't take out Ancestral, I don't take out any cards. I think the purpose of a cube, a power cube, is to have the most powerful cards, and that's, you know, a big part of it, so I, I haven't kind of neutered it at all, but I did try to boost up some of the other colors a little bit, because they're just so underwhelming compared uh, to blue for the most part. Especially in cube, because you, the card draw is so much more than it is in any other format. Drawing three extra cards, or four extra cards, or five in a turn means getting, you know, a bunch of dragons or whatever. It's getting a bunch of first picks in your hand and land. Yeah, I mean, I try to bend the rules. Like, you know, you're talking about making your own cards and blue being overpowered. And for the most part, I agree with you. So I'll, I'll try to I'll try to bend the rules. Like, I love when wizards print cards like Great Sable Stag or like Spellbreaker Behemoth is great. Like, you already have an above-the-curve casting cost creature or an aggressively cost of creature mm-hmm. or, you know, other spells like just conveniently can't be countered or have, you know, these these kind of abilities that kind of circumvent what blue does. Mm-hmm. And I like to kind of put those in and have them be unassuming. Like, uh, I ran Vexing Shisher for a while. I've considered putting it back in, but just, like, at the end of the day, it could still just be a 2-2 two, two for 2, and that's kind of only okay. Meanwhile, like, Spellbreaker Behemoth is awesome because it's a 5-5 five, five for 4. Um, you know, there's the, that tiny interaction with... Uh, Nether Void for those cards, which uh, it's been in and out of my cube before. I don't currently run it, but there are a few things sweeter than like I'll drop Nether Void, then I'll drop Vexing Shisher. Now it's like all it costs more, my only costs one more. <laughs> that is pretty sweet. Yeah, that's I mean, the like, thing. It's I like, so unassuming, like people cool. don't see it coming. Yeah, that, well, it's, a, it's just a cool, subtle interaction. That's awesome that you would never get in any other format. That's what I love about the cube. But we can talk about cube all day long. It looks like. Greg has something else he wants to bring up. Well, yeah, so um, accidentally brought up Rochester. And ironically, we actually have um, two Rochester drafts tomorrow. Um, there's 12 of us that are, gonna ha- that are in uh, four teams. We're going to have two uh, six-man drafts, uh, 3v3 drafts of um, Besieged Scars Scars in Rochester. Form. And possibly so, Shadowmore Black. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's the possibility. Actually, I think that that was a possibility. Originally, the idea was to do Shadowmore, uh, even tired. Um, and I, that somebody then brought up the fact that, well, we're actually doing it this week, like the second week after it came out. And there was a, 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 a vote and it's actually on the event page that we're going to be doing, um, well, he's going to bring both along and just in case. Sure. Yeah, okay. One wants to do it. Cause I really want to do that, but, um, we'll see. So the reason why I bring this up, um, other than the fact that it's cool and I think people should like expand their horizons and try different formats, um, particularly right before new sets come out, because then you're kind of bored with old sets and it's just a great time to, to cube and do all sorts of different things like Rochester and Winston and stuff. But 
the reason why I bring it up is I've only Rochestered once before. I understand the format. And to anybody that's listening that doesn't, basically um, everybody stands around a table and you, you crack a pack. Um, one person cracks a pack face up, looks at the pack, makes a pick, and pa- passes the pack to the left. There's some signaling pieces that are involved in team, in a team format, um, and you're really just going around. You 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 pass that one pack around, and then the person to the left of them opens their first pack, and you go so on and so forth. Um, and takes a, takes a longer for the actual draft portion, but um, it's 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 pretty sweet. So anyway, I bring this up because I I'd, I'd like to. Um, ask the group if there's if some of the people in the group have have done this format a few few times. If there are any like general tips that anybody has for me, because I have literally done it once. Um, like what what is the team um, atmosphere and signaling? What does that really do to the format? The thing with the team with the team Rochester is that you have a couple different options. You have kind of like three different options. One is uh, everyone chooses their own and the only com- the communication is very minimal. Second option is that uh, you have uh, everyone trying to work together and impromptu kind of like decide as the cards come out what people are going to pick and what strategies are going to go and how they're going to D it up against the opponent. Third strategy is you have the B player kind of be the team leader. B player meaning the person in the middle and they because they need most access to the cards they need to see everything immediately and make the decisions and stuff and they kind of like lead how the draft is going to go and they they direct their teammates what to pick and and are also at in the best of circumstances, following what all the opponents have picked, in what order, who's going to be playing who, what's good matchups, what's good to D up against those players, what they already have, all that type of stuff. Um, Finkel was the best ever at this, as he was the best ever at a few things in Magic, um, quite a few things, but uh, but that's the best case scenario. So those are really the three options, and working on the nonverbal communications as you're not allowed to speak is uh, important to do beforehand since you only have generally four seconds per pick and 15 seconds to review the pack. So that's that's my tip. Now you said you were, you were doing a team draft? Yeah, so it's 3v3. Three, three three. Um, and you guys all sit on the same side of the table? Do you open sure. spots? Yeah, you sit on the same side of the table. You have... I- ABC players on both sides, and they're and they're they're it's like a mirror version of each other. And yeah, when you're saying that they sit on the same side, they don't. The whole team doesn't pick, followed by the other whole team picking, do they? It goes player by player. So right. player I understand a. that, but if you're if 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 all of the team sits on one side, typically in the Rochester's that I've played in, the picks snake around in a in a semicircle. Everybody's yeah. standing around the circle looking at the cards. If all the teammates of one side are right next to each other, the whole team picks in a row. Then the other whole team picks in a row. Then they they wheel it back. Is that how you run it? You don't yeah. alternate. Yeah, I've seen it done. I've seen it done both ways. I know okay. that in the Pro Tour. Um, the one I've seen, it, it was uh, everyone stays on the same side, which to me, I think it's important to like define your colors and define whatever archetypes you're going to have for your team because, you know, like, depending on where, who, depending on who opened first, like half the packs can be like, okay, one team kind of pillages a pack, then the next team kind of picks up the middle of the road cards, and then the first team that pillaged it the first time around now like picks up the scraps and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle, things kind of change. And I think that drafts, I mean, in Rochester, draft strategy is very different than a booster draft. And then 
team Rochester drafts on top of that is even more different. And I think that a cohesive team that works really well together and understands not just people's play styles and their interests, but a set and how things are broken down into archetypes can really take advantage in the draft process to make sure their decks are better. And so knowing which style you're doing going into it ahead of time is going to be important for determining. So like maybe players A and C might be able to draft Infect. Maybe you're going to want to jam player B with the best Metalcraft cards possible. Um, I haven't drafted Scars in a Team Rochester setup, so I don't, I know I'm just kind of throwing things off the top of my head, but I like think about, think about archetypes, think about colors and think about where the players are distributed at the table. Again, like things kind of organically work themselves out once the draft process starts where it's like, Oh, well seat one is in blue. So probably like seat three or four will be in blue, which means that maybe seat five will be depends on how deep the colors are. Um, I think I think that's the best advice I can give you when uh, when going into the team roster draft. Talk to your guys ahead of time, kind of get on the same page about what you want to do, and then you know work work that advantage to the best of your ability. It's very easy to get very frustrated, and with four seconds to pick, you know you want to have that figured out beforehand. So for your team, Greg, I would say decide who you want. If if you want someone to be the B player and make the decisions, or if you guys are each going to make your own decisions, or if you're going to I don't think we can decide our our our, our A B C yeah. spots. I think that it's it's mandated by the Pirate Draft League standings. I'm pretty no, sure you, that that's what what he is specifically called out. I see what you're saying. No, he's just saying that the teams will be made up in order of skill based on the rankings. Meaning you won't have three of the best players with three of the worst players or whatever. <laughs> That's, that's yeah, that's too. I just uh, I was referring to something else. It's I mean we could take it offline. Um, yeah, the reality yeah you, we'll decide who's anyway. going to be the A player and B player and C player ahead of time. You'll, you'll, the teams will get to choose who that is. Tristan, were you going to say something? I don't think so. I mean, I think um, my, my my advice is pretty concise and sound. There, like you know, talk talk to your teammates ahead of time with an idea. It doesn't necessarily I mean like where you sit ABC shouldn't matter that much as long as you are willing to follow each other's signals. Um, you know, obviously if one person is really prone to drafting in fact, and they want to kind of force it, that's fine. Um, team signaling. I mean, obviously if your time frame to pick is very short, it's going to be a lot harder to do signals. Like, I don't know if you guys are allowed to talk at the table or anything like that. Um, I've run them all, always shapes and forms where you weren't allowed to talk during a Rochester draft, which usually, usually resulted in a lot of awkward hand signaling and hitting of other people. <laughs> Again, you I don't know how to pick, you like start to make a hand motion towards a card, and then you get slapped in the face, and then uh, you put it back and try another one, and then you get hit in, on the arm. It's like, oh, okay, that's good. <laughs> now, general rule of thumb is you, you touch it, you bought it. Like, you yeah. know, if you if you as long as everyone knows what the cards are ahead of time, like in order to speed things up, because Rochester draft it can take a long time just to do the draft portion. So I know that when we do it, we try to find the fastest way possible, which usually means we are like allowed to talk, and usually like one captain will come out on each team and be like, "All right, you're just playing red white. Just like you know, just take take that guy. Stop talking about it. Whatever. Like you're playing black. I'm not. You know, whatever." And yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I guess I, I, I'm I'm still a little I'm 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 curious what what I guess we're doing specifically for ours, and then I guess we can kind of cater it to that. Um, there's been a lot of discussion because people have had different ideas of what to do and it's now on kind of, you know, it's tomorrow. And I mean, it's not that big of a deal. We're not really playing for anything, but like our group, our play group's got, um, there's a lot of pride riding and, uh, yeah, I want to, I want to do well. So I'm, I'm definitely, I'm probably just going to kind of wing it a little bit from that perspective. Uh, I'm, 
I, I actually think that that my team will be fine if we if we go the route of uh, besieged cars cars because uh, um, I've 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 played the format so much um, even besieged comparatively to some of the other people um, that haven't really some some of them haven't played any pre-release or release events yet so um, yeah anyway we we just lost Russ uh, I would like to talk about the transition into um, to something related to Star City Games real quick. Um, specifically, I wanted to to, um, to ask Big Head Joe about uh, the Open Series. So, <laughs> I haven't been to any of them, to be perfectly honest. Now, I almost, I was definitely almost going, <laughs> definitely almost going to Star City <laughs> Indy, which is actually not too bad of a drive for me. But, yeah. um, like the fact that it was on a release weekend when I'm going to Denver and I wanted to play as much of the like actual real sealed format as possible. That was a big, a big reason why I didn't go. And then, um, the, the, the thing that pushed it over the edge was the Super Bowl weekend. I thought that was like, just not going to happen. I mean, you guys have pretty good attendance despite the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, but still, so anyway, my, getting at my question, um, why, um, why would a typical player, choose to put their stock into going to Star City Open events that aren't regionally very close versus putting putting their stock into going to a GP that's like equidistant, you know, in terms of farther away? I would say that um, the main reason is the fact that you have uh, the, I mean, now with the Invitational and with the player, like, uh, the club levels that uh, Star City is doing with the with their open series, um, I think that's a, a very uh, big incentive for people to travel to these events. Uh, people want to, I mean, like uh, um, you get one point just for signing up, and I think like ten points get you in the Invitational. Like Pat Chapin went two zero drop at the Sunday uh, Legacy. Um, wh- at which one? I think it was maybe Kansas City. Um, he went two o no 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 maybe it was San Jose where Joey was I can't remember but point is Chapin signed up went two o drop in the like in the legacy uh, event just so he could get that one uh, point towards the Invitational <laughs> so um, I just think that people are going to those um, I mean I just think they're 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 fun weekends I mean the fact that you get to play multiple formats over multiple days. Uh, People really like that, and you know, uh, you know, it's all the same level event. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, um, but I mean, I, the way I look at the at those points is that it's really, it, 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 from my perspective, as a person that has not played in one, is, yeah, is legitimately not played in in any, is that looks like a, a a pretty cool like incentive to come back if you do well. Because it's like, oh, so I did, I did pretty well in this one. I've already got X number of points. I only need to get X number of points to do, you know, this level. But it, it doesn't to me have the same like crazy incentive structure. Um, not, not that it necessarily should, but as like, um, if you, if you do well in a GP, in one GP, you get you get a similar structure in terms of, of money, but you also get the pro points, which are so critical because if you top 16, one GP, you're now invited to the pro tour. And the pro true. tour is just not so money. Now, I mean, maybe, well, yeah. is, it, maybe, maybe the, the, there's a fair analogy or analog to the invitational, which I heard was also a pretty sick structure. 
the the Invitational apparently had a huge EV. Like people were kind of going. Uh, I mean, people were really surprised at um, just how easy it was to. I mean, if you were in the Invitational, how how easy it was to to uh, you know g- uh, get a cash finish. Um, I can't remember. I can't remember how it broke down, but my a couple of my friends who were in the Invitational were saying how they were amazed that like you know they were like X three or something like that, and like probably going to make day two of it. And like, I don't know. Um, I don't know much, honestly, about the um, about the structure of all those kind of different things. Um, I just know that you know the event. I mean, the events are picking up steam uh, for sure, and uh, and we're there. You know, that's another great reason to come. Um, you know, I'll well, be- and that's that. That is that is news. I mean, you, you guys just you just started going, and like you've gone to. Indy was like what the second one and third one. So the first one that Joe Joey went to uh, San Jose, and the first one I'm going to is DC, and we're both going to be we me and Joey are going to be the coverage team for that weekend. Which if that uh, doesn't sound awesome to anyone else, it sounds pretty no, it awesome. Sounds, it, it sounds phenomenal. Like having <laughs> you awesome. know, um, you know, me and Joey are going to be covering the the event all weekend. Um, so that's it's going to be ridiculously fun. Um, sorry if I'm babbling a little. I mean, it's kind of late. I'm getting kind of tired. <laughs> no, we, we, we already lost Jarrett and Russ and, and Tristan, Tristan and Jonathan are both about to, about to head out too. I'm sure. So yeah. we're almost, we're almost done, but like, this is just, this is a subject that I've been, I've, I've gone back and forth with, with the handfuls of, um, of players that I really respect um, from an opinion standpoint on, on EV different tournaments and, and the structure because, I mean, we've all got a limited amount of time. We can't make every um, domestic GP and every domestic Star City, you know, open series event. Um, so it's really about, like, deciding, okay, what makes sense? And for me, I, I have some flexibility to be able to um, to fly out to a tournament if... if uh, if it if it makes sense and if there are people going to it, but I I can't currently fathom why um, somebody who's not playing at a pro level that they can't expect um, out of like one out of three events to be able to, to to do really well from a cash perspective or something you know nutty like that. I can't see how it would be positive EV to fly to um, an open series event, though. I'm I'm starting to understand if you're you know if if you're in a if you're on one of the coasts and you can manage to to drive to a handful of them over the course of a season that might make some sense. But yeah, and I don't know. Um, I, I I mean if like I played in one Grand Prix, you know, and uh, I have nothing to show for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? An amazing time, but yeah, I know I, I had an awesome time, uh, but I mean I have nothing to show for it. In terms of, you know, any sort of kickbacks or anything like that. So, I guess with like the Star City Opens, worst case scenario, you've got one point towards the Invitational. If you do really well, obviously, you know, you could you could make some money. But I didn't make any money at the <laughs> at the Grand Prix, and I didn't get any points towards anything. I don't know if my rating changed all that much. Um, but you know, my rating isn't great anyway. Um, but 
so I don't know. I guess I, I maybe and it's a smaller a, a smaller group of players, so you know maybe less rounds. Maybe sure. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what it is. I mean, like, again, I think that like so the appeal for some players is the the appeal to play standard day one, and if you top eight day one, then you're probably not going to play legacy day two. But even if you you know if you don't top eight the standard thing, you can jump right into another tournament the next day. Um, and they're both, you know, equal payouts, equal, um, they're, you know, they're equals. The, the events are two separate events that are on the same level. Whereas like, if you go to a Grand Prix, there's the main event, which is, you know, a lot of fun and great to play in. But then like, there are other events that go on, but none of them are at the level of the Grand Prix. So maybe it's just the fact that you get to play, um, multiple events, multiple formats, um, the draft opens. Um, I have I haven't played in a draft open. I think they they might have just started the draft opens. Um, maybe with uh, yeah, I think it was uh, this year. This Richmond. year, the rollout for like the the first January Star City Open um, was when they when they rolled out that with the, with the new prize structure, and they're actually bringing the draft opens to some of the GPs. So like uh, Denver, for example, is actually Star City Games is going to be on site. Running the um, this all the side events, so they're going to have like two giant side events, and they're going to have a bunch of side events, including draft opens, at least on on Sunday, if not Saturday. I'm going to hop in here right quick and just say uh, thanks so much to to TSG for joining us again. And I know you got to get going, so we don't want to hold you captive here. No, that's that's okay. I I you guys are I mean are you're almost as good as the M and M guys are just going on into eternity. I like, I like to start, uh, you've got you've got enough to talk about on a weekday night that it's like time is not an issue. There is enough to, to go on about. Um, but I've got I've got work I gotta do, so sure, cool. thanks for having me. Well, thank your again. your listener base, which I'm sure far exceeds most of the things I do for for listening to us ramble about what we're rambling about tonight. And uh, maybe you'll have me on again in the future. I'll definitely try to listen to, to all of the episodes that uh, you put out in your future. Absolutely, you'll you'll be on a few of them, and and we appreciate it. Everyone should check out Hardcast, which is uh, going to be coming out soon, uh, the the official show, and also TSG on ChannelFireball.com. Yeah, if there's anything um, that you actually, never mind. I'm just going to edit this part out. Thanks for joining us, TSG, um, and and. Uh, I was just going to say that we can put in any links or plug anything if you want, so just shoot me an email or anything with any of those that you want. Yeah, I, mean, you can, I, mean, I don't know if you guys add the email to the show notes. You can add my contact in there, tsg at channelfireball.com, if any of your listeners have any questions. Um, but no need to plug anything else. Are you on, are you I, on Twitter? What did you say? Are you on Twitter? Oh, I am on Twitter. Uh, I just, I'm Tristan Gregson on Twitter. And, I, really, and I, I, do, I do it Kanye style though. I don't really like use it that much, so I don't really follow anyone. Sure. But I do try to post important magic-related stuff there when I get a chance. Dude, Kanye's Twitter is awesome. <laughs> I love his tweets. That's my goal. My goal. I've got like 350 people following me right now. I don't even know how to follow anyone. I'm not too interested in it. But if I can, if I can break like 100 thou one of these days after I do something crazy, then I'll, I'll try to get myself near Kanye status. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just typing this in. Okay, love that response. Uh, well, cool. Thousand well, magic players. Hmm. So if we put all of the pro magic players together. Is it a hundred thousand? Mm. You'll have to look into it. Thanks again for joining us, TSG, yeah. and uh, we'd love to have you on in the future. Best of luck with the new podcast, man. Thank you very much. Best of luck with you guys. Uh, good night. Thanks again. Later.
Yeah, I gotta I gotta roll soon too. I'm it's almost midnight and I still have other ish to get to tonight before I head to bed. Um, is there anything else we need to talk about, Craig? Or um, no, I mean about? I guess I, I had I had a little bit of rebuttal for what I was talking before, but I, I mean the reality is like I can either take it offline or you know it's just something that is really interesting to me. I, I really appreciate the existence of the Star City Open series because mm-hmm. it means more bigger tournaments and it yeah. also provides provides a huge amount of the the US population to literally just play standard all year. Which Not even just that, but it, the fact that like every weekend there's a tournament to at least watch on GG's live is yeah. ridiculously yeah, cool and Magic is somewhere like I don't think it's ever been before. Which Absolutely. is excellent. Yeah, and I think that and I think Star Star City Games and Channel Fireball, some of the, the different things that they're doing um independently to just kind of like break right. the mold and can keep breaking the mold of of their four forefathers who were <laughs> each other and I mean Star City Games has been been around for a long time and, and the dojo before that and just like some of the crazy things that have have happened in the past and none of it compares to the content that's put out on a yeah, on it's a, gonna, and a it's daily basis and it's good it's good for the game but yeah we got to wrap up guys all right um. Uh, every, everybody should have caught the how to get a hold of us on the last episode. Just in case, for some reason, this is the first episode that anybody's ever heard, check us out on Twitter um, and Facebook, uh, Four Spikes. Um, and then uh, email you can email us at fourspikes at gmail.com. And how uh, do they get a hold of you, Joe? Big Head Joe? Uh, well, um, I'm on Twitter. I'm O-M-G-W-T-F-B-H-J. <laughs> FTW. <laughs> He's not like, kidding. D- act like awesome you don't know. <laughs> um, we're also uh, Yo MTG Taps on Twitter, obviously. Um, not Yo MTG Taps on Twitter, obviously. Just Yo MTG Taps. Um, you can find our podcast every Friday on StarCityGames.com, IWantMyMTG.com, and MTGCast.com. Um, we... Um, have Star City uh, Games. There's what? Star City GG's live something. D- um well, uh, oh well, yeah, you can um we're uh me and Joey are going to be at SCG live or I mean we- <laughs> oh god. We're going to talk about the magic cards on the <laughs> interwebs. <laughs> Uh, All right. Uh, thanks for yeah, listening. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't do that. No, I'm not. I'm not done. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but um, uh, uh, February 26th and 27th is uh, Star City Games Open Series in Washington D.C. and Joey and I are going to be there all weekend covering the tournament for SCG Live. Um, Absolutely. And I heard you if, there's going to be a special appearance by President Obama. He... Yeah. Oh, sure. He he uh he he plays mono red. So um, and um, if you come up to me wearing a fake beard, I will give you a card out of my binder. Um, I've already made that statement on the chat rooms. So you heard it here first, folks. Wear a beard. Fake beards only. Oh, fake beards. And you can no pa- no passing off the beards. To Let other me ask people. you this: What will you give someone if they wear a fake beard made out of magic cards? Nothing. <laughs> Intriguing. 
nothing. Uh, fake beards only. And I will, um, <laughs> I will tag the beard. So I know I will tag, I will tag any beards that are, uh, brought to me. So I know that they're not duplicate beards just being passed around for free stuff. Of course, chances are my binder's going to be stocked with like, uh, you know, stupid stuff. Now by tag, do you mean spray paint with graffiti? No, I mean, I mean, I will mark like, like, like you would, uh, tag a, a wild deer's ear oh, in the oh, wild. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, they will be marked and they will be, uh, accounted for. So, nice. um, I don't know how yet. Um, Maybe I'll trim a. Maybe I'll just have scissors. Someone will come up to me with a beard, and I'll just trim a piece off and stick it in my pocket. Sweet. And then I'll just match the the hair quality. Um, oh, yeah. We right. didn't. We didn't. We didn't talk about cock rings at all. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> can we get back to that? Can we do? Can we go back? Can we do that? Oh, can we? Um, okay. Have fun. Oh. <laughs> yeah. fun to actually just cut us off. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but anyway, so thanks everybody for listening. Joke. Yeah, this was awesome. Really glad to have you on. This is dope. Yeah, I think this is the I think this is the the like the the most I've ever listened on a podcast in my entire life. Like, I that it didn't interrupt everyone and uh, kind of sat here and chilled, which is cool. I mean, it's fine. It's a good thing. But um, basically, what you're saying is, next time we have you on, we got to bust out an extra hour for you. Next time you have me on, I'm not going to shut my damn mouth. Good. I'm just going to be like, oh, hey, as long hey as Greg. As talking about how good smokestacks and cubes are, it's all to the good. I have no idea about any of that. I don't know anything about that. Um, I had a smokestack once, and I sold it because that's how I roll. Um, <laughs> I, I want to play Pauper Cube, frankly, but let's not get into all this. Let's go to bed. <laughs> not, not, is that what the question is about? What? Right. Good night, everyone. I thought you had a question here. Okay, I'm stopping the recording. Bye.